in everybody to another edition of Kevin Figures Out His Voice. This is Sad Times, and as I just said, my name is Kevin. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have never been here before, welcome. Come on in, have a seat, and just let me give you a little primer. Uh, Sad Times is a show in which each week we have a kind and generous guest who comes on, and he or she talks about times they were upset, sad, angry. Uh, they talk about very difficult times in their lives, because we at Sad Times believe that these, while they are not all the same, we all universally go through very difficult times, and we try to foster a environment in which these stories can be told. Not with judgment, not trying to solve them, nor trying to diagnose them. Just to allow the story to be told so that you, uh, wherever you may be uh, in listening to this, may hear something that helps you feel a little bit less alone and maybe allows you to open up about um, some difficult things that you've gone through. So that's sad times. Uh, again, thank you. Please, please, please subscribe. And uh, also, we do have a website. It's uh, sadtimespodcast.com. I left the www off because Brent kept making fun of me. So just sadtimespodcast.com. There you can listen to all the episodes. You can be a guest on the show. You can fill out a form. We can let you know how it works. And you can buy some sad swag. So please check out sadtimespodcast.com. All right. Uh, before we get to our guest today, we do have a sponsor uh, and so let's, let's go ahead and do that. Cause got to pay the bills. Uh, today's sponsor is the burning desire to have film director, Terrence Malick direct my memories. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of my memories following the 180 degree rule. Also, why am I always looking at my memories with a stationary camera? And shouldn't my memories have a voiceover that is sagacious and somehow detached from reality? I think so. That's why I have a burning desire to have filmmaker Terrence Malick direct my memories. At least then, my longing and nostalgia will be lit correctly and have the perfect amount of gingham fabric. That's my burning desire to have Terrence Malick direct my memories. Brought to you by Esoteric Productions. All right. Cool. That's a good sponsor. Not not as angry as the ones that Brent brings us, so that's nice. All right. Enough of that bullshit. Let's get to today's guest. Very excited to have him. His name is Steven. Steven, how's it going, man? Good. Very good. Thank you for having me on. Uh, big fan of the show. Oh, well, Not thank you. Not being sad, but big fan of the show. Well, we were we were talking just before we came on about uh, some pieces of art that were uh, very sad. So, um, yes, yeah, it, yeah. It, it does draw. I've always felt that. I always say, and maybe this is trite or cliche, I, I say I love sadness in art. Uh, it helps, it does help me feel less alone. So, I mean, not like the Smiths, but I mean, oh, I like the Smiths. The Smiths. I like the Smiths. Huge fan of Smiths. You, you're big a huge fan? Yeah. Have you ever big seen, fan. have you ever seen the website that, or that they took Peanuts comments, comics and, <laughs> and put in the Smiths lyrics in the bubbles? No, I have not. I, oh, I, it's pretty like fucking that. funny. It's like Charlie Brown yeah. saying, I'm human and I need to be loved. <laughs> Very <laughs> funny stuff. Um, yeah. so Steven, uh, let's start just getting to know you a little bit. Where are you from? I'm from New York City originally. Oh, uh, Upper East Side of Manhattan. Wow. Grew up there in the 80s. Uh, and yeah, uh, grew up right smack in the middle of it and loved it. Tough to go back to it, but I, I did love it. Uh, and uh, now I'm still uh, in the New England area in Western okay. Massachusetts. 
Yeah. And so, uh, but New York City was home originally. And man, in the 80s, I mean, I guess people say this about many eras of New York, but that had to have been a pretty cool yeah. time to grow up. It was. I was too young. To, I knew stuff was going on. I was like uh, in my teen years. So I was like 12 or 13 going like, something's going on at Studio 54. I'm not quite sure what's <laughs> happening there, but they never yeah, sleep. I, I knew there was a buzz going on around me. Uh, and it's funny to look back at. Yeah, because yeah, New York, as we were talking about you know, earlier in the pre-interview, they're like, New York's got many, everybody's got their own internal New York and it changes like every five years. But I definitely had full tilt, like early 80s, greed is good New York, you know, brass and chrome everywhere. Uh, I don't yeah. want to drop the, his name already, but Trump walking around and just that kind of New York. Oh, he wasn't waddling then? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he was just showing up everywhere, that kind of Howard Stern kind of oh, New yeah. York vibe. And he, uh, which I, yeah. it was, and you had said, sorry to interrupt you there. Um, we also discussed uh, that great novel, his first novel, his first piece of fiction, uh, The Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. Exactly. And you yeah, said that, that really was, nailed it, huh? Absolutely. I was uh, actually, I remember at home recovering from some minor, like, I, I actually had my wisdom teeth pulled out. <laughs> Again, post anesthesia. Uh, reading Bonfire of the Valley is going, yeah, this guy gets it. And just, yeah, it, that's a book I need to reread. Yeah. Oh, uh, but it's very much yeah. that era. Yeah. Just, just lots of conspicuous consumption. That hasn't changed, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right on. And the, so, uh, what did your parents do? My dad, uh, was a neurologist. Uh, wow. um, Old school doctor, like he uh, came up in the 50s and 60s, private practice, solo practice, very, very good position, very dedicated to his craft, uh, loved by his patients. So I uh, grew up in that sort of medical environment. Uh, mom is sort of the classic homemaker, raising the kids, um, you know, yeah. So my, my mom didn't work. She quit work actually after she had kids. Very sort of classic story. Like she worked for CBS actually for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, the secretary. Oh, wow. Uh, and she's got stories too. Like that's the other thing. She comes out of that Mad Men era. Which I'm sure oh, Mad yeah. Yeah. And she'll tell you, she's like, she had to leave New York, or leave, leave the CBS rather, because she's just like, it was nuts. And, uh, yeah. Oh, are they both, did they both grow up in the city as well? They grew up in Brooklyn. They were first generation born Americans, both grew up in Brooklyn. And the classic story of cross the East River, come to New York, uh, get a deluxe apartment in the sky, (laughs) (laughs) and and living that dream, and fulfilled that, and and loved that. My mom's still in New York. My dad passed away several years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Uh, Crossing Brooklyn Ferry, like Brooklyn's own Walt Whitman. Yep, exactly. So for them, that was like the dream. and they were, they had a very clear vision of like, we're going to be either in the city, uh, or not. And they didn't want to do the suburban thing when everyone was sort of fleeing the suburbs. So I thank them for that because, uh, I got full tilt for upper east side of New York life. And it was different then, very different. And it was a, there was definitely neighborhoods and it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, did uh, you know your neighbors? It, we'll get it. Yeah. I was going to say that's yeah. the weird thing. It's like, as I look back on it, it was, um, very self-involved existence. You didn't really know your neighbors uh, the way I do now, or your community around you. Everything's at your doorstep, but nobody really knows you. And 
uh, growing up with that sense that I walk out the door and I'm anonymous, I just took for granted. I assume that's what everybody had. And although that can be great, that can also, for me at least, not fulfilling to, you know, just be a, a random guy on the street. Um, though I do still love doing that. It's great to get back there and just vanish. Right. You know, it, into, it just, nobody looks at you. It's, it's very ironic that a place with so many people, uh, can, can foster some, um, so little of a feeling of community at, at times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely tight communities there, but it can also be talking about sad times, a very lonely place, you know, and I know people are still there who have everything, but are really really lonely like they, it's trying to find those connections can be really really tough unless you are constantly pushing and reaching out uh and trying to find those connections um why do you think that is way, a, sorry uh, to interrupt you i think it's just with just the compression of everything everybody is so busy and let's <laughs> say scurrying but you're moving from point to point you've got you're on point you got stuff to do and you know i when i'm in new york for a week or so i get back into that mode of like i'm got things to do. I don't have time for this. You know, um, it's like, I mean, New Yorkers are great and I don't want to start trashing New Yorkers, but that, that uh, growing up with that attitude of like, Oh crap, I don't want to get involved. I see something out of it. Let's just keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. You know, where I can't imagine that happening up here. Something happens. It's like everybody just, they stop. Uh, Where's up they here? Stop. Yeah. Oh, up here in Western Massachusetts. Oh, be- oh I bet yeah, it's fucking so- beautiful there. It is actually finally a gorgeous day, but yeah, I've been up here for 23 years, so uh, I always say uh, I, I finally went native many years ago, uh, <laughs> and love it, love it, love it, love it up here. Except February, that's just like nuts. It's just does. It, do you get like tons of snow? We do. Strangely enough, with uh, so far with the the the. the the, the planet burning down and climate change we seem to be getting more snow it feels like we're getting wetter weather here uh, our summers Oof. are more like seattle we get this kind of wet oh really uh, winter, winter. yeah it's changing up here i've definitely seen a change we used to get more droughts we get these like cold wet summers now <sighs> uh, at least now who knows what will happen like you know burning embers will start falling from the sky i'm sure any moment but uh, uh, don't look out your window you uh, might see one now exactly uh and lots of just more dramatic storms uh and so when a snowstorm happens it will suddenly like 12 feet of snow fell today like that didn't used to happen but uh that kind of stuff uh but yeah we're definitely four season kind of tourist destination skiing's a big piece of those Mm. so yeah we do get we get weather and love that and growing up did you have any siblings yeah i have a brother who is four years younger and lives in new york still oh okay uh yeah and he's He's the opposite. He did the. He stayed in New York and did the uh, pursue the New York dream, which lots of pluses and minuses. I can see that how it, sometimes. I think it's very tough. Um, it, uh, it's got four kids in uh, New York. And, uh, and in New York, wow. yeah, yeah. You talk to him next. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll be. I'll be happy. Hey, I heard. I I heard you're Stevens' brother. Um, <laughs> I hear you're sad. <laughs> just like all no, of I'm us. kidding i'm kidding yeah. so you grew up on the upper uh, east yeah. side and your dad was a neurologist yeah. now yeah. this is going to sound like a dumb question but can you just really break down what a neurologist does i know it's a, a quote-unquote head doctor but what what would the, yeah. what type of things did he treat so yeah everything from the shoulders up so well, and spine head and spine any neurological diseases uh classic things being like multiple sclerosis parkinson's disease uh any all neurological issues um 
And so that was his focus. And he loved it. He was passionate, passionate, passionate about it. Uh, and never could see retiring. Like it was just his complete world, uh, which is, was wonderful. Like that, like he was that driven, passionate doctor who really cared about his patients. Um, I'm sort of moving on with it, but, uh, he was like that, uh, he would give out his own phone number. So we were used to getting oh, wow. interrupted during dinner for patients calling him. He'd make house calls, walk around with a little black bag. I mean, it's something like a, this kind of retrospective romantic vision of what a doctor it's and it's so wonderful to hear because you know not many people like going to the doctor and especially i imagine a neurologist because of what you're dealing with and so if if you have somebody who sounds so welcoming and so happy to be there that's got to rub off on the care and everything right oh absolutely yeah yeah his patients adore him yeah did um, um so yeah Oh, go ahead. Neurological issues. No, I just got to wrap up that answer. So, yeah, all any neurological disorders, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, et cetera, those kind of things. Okay. Did he, uh, you being the oldest, would he say to you, uh, Stephen, I want you to be a doctor? Or, like, how, how, was that something that was understood or or kind of, was that ever thought to be, I'm going to pass this down to you? Yeah, never, ever said directly, and uh, but he would take me on his rounds when I was a kid on Saturday morning. He worked Saturday mornings. Uh, and he would take me to the hospital. I grew up sitting in nurses' stations. You know, just that was my whole child, but most of my childhood, like Saturday mornings, going to the hospital, uh, hearing about his patients, sort of being actually strangely feeling very comfortable in a hospital environment. Um, so it was never said. But there was definitely uh, implied give and take where I, I, I knew letting him know that I wanted to be a physician made him very happy. And that kind of leads us, and I know it's going to lead us into more talk about that, but yeah, it was never said directly. But you did let him know that at some point, dad, I'm going to, I'm going to be a physician or that's what I'd like to be. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. As I was going through school, cause I love the sciences uh excelled in the sciences found it easy i loved it i was class one nerd uh loved math uh loved computer science um and that just came naturally to me uh as did the sort of biological sciences so growing up at that time as that first born to a successful doctor just felt like well of course that's what i'll do it's it was an easy thing to take on that and say, oh, that's the mold I want to fit into. Um, it, it, it didn't, it didn't feel unnatural. Um, but it was also easy. And I think we often do take those pathways that are, Oh yeah, that's, that's the easy way to go. And of course that's what I'll do. Hey. And also I, I remember hearing like people say, Oh, that's wonderful that you want to do that. You get a lot of feedback from family and friends like, Oh, you want to be a doctor. That's great. Yeah. Like I when I would, my son to be a doctor. Yeah, well, my son's just going to be an actor like that, design. Kevin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They went into acting, and I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, who, like, yeah, 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 at least they don't have, but you, you know. Get, yeah. Exactly. I haven't really thought about that way, but you, there's just a, just a societal feedback of like, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah what's the, the kind of stereotype is like, oh, you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to be a lawyer. I think. Uh, right. Oh, absolutely. 
one time I mentioned to my mom once, and this was when I was in my mid-20s, oh, you know, it would have been kind of cool to be a lawyer. I'm getting law school pamphlets. I'm getting, you know, all this stuff. Um, so it, it, so you're telling that to people, but you said you like the sciences and, and math and, yeah. and all that stuff. Did you have yeah. any artistic pursuits growing up? I did, yeah. So the for me, that was the other piece of my life was the arts. I was also a kind of uh, uh, artsy, nerdy kid. All, I, I was the, the science nerd, but I, all my friends were either fencing, they were fencers, or they were uh, in, in drama club or, or in, in, in chorus. Yeah, that was like, that's a thing, like, in these schools, like, the, the weird kids, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and they were, the, they were, that was just my people I felt really comfortable with. So, but coming back to your question, yeah, so when I was uh, in the third grade, I took a photography class. Uh, there was, like, one of these electives, like, would you like to see a darkroom? And <laughs> I took it and fell in love with uh, photography. Like, it was... What uh, drew you like, to it? Oh. Don't know. Just, well, my dad actually was... He was like kind of amateur photographer. Every dad had like a camera, you know, my good camera. Don't touch it. You'll break it. You know? <laughs> uh, and uh, we take it on special occasions. And actually he was always, always had it up, but it's a birthday. Click, click, click. Um, and he loved taking pictures. But I, when I finally got to take pictures and develop them, and it's a kind of old story. Now it's all like chemical dark rooms or actually retro hip now, but uh, to do that slow motion process, take the shots, develop it, learn how to take the film out of the camera properly, develop it, that whole process. And at the end, you get this image that that it just hooked me immediately. It was just like, oh, yeah, I love doing this. And I never really put it down after that. So then my kid, my, my, kids, my, my parents uh, were really supported that. They really nurtured and supported the arts, which was good. They really believed in that, uh, that in music. That's always um, so, so good to hear. To- yeah, they really, really support it. So I went to an arts camp for several summers uh, during my uh, early teens. Uh, and it was an amazing experience out in Long Island. They would bus us out there every day, actually near near Amityville, which I always thought was kind of wacky. Yeah. Yeah, we'd always drive by like, ooh, that's Amityville. Here's ooh, look, it's there. James Brolin. Would you focus on photography there or was it kind of a, yeah. a, a buffet of arts? Uh, for lack yeah, of so a better term. you had to choose like every summer you choose like a major and a minor and i always would take photography so literally like in the dead of summer you're uh every morning uh you'd be working mostly in the dark room with a, a big communal dark room with other people and counselors uh, and learning about photography uh and in the afternoons it was music and then they turn a little bit of sports uh had to and it was, it was fun though. Um, but so I spent my summers just studying photography and they'd give us projects and we'd work on them and there'd be a final project and exhibitions. And that was my life, uh, for many, many of my summers. Uh, you know, kids are going to like soccer camp and I'm like, I went to photography camp Yeah, and it was amazing. It's an amazing place. It's uh, called USDAN, U-S-D-A-N, still around. Oh, really? Amazing place for kids. Yeah. That's just, awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, you because it was kind of cool because the, the bus would drive us, pick us up every morning. And it's just a bus full of, I, I love to say it, but it's like nerdy art kids, mm-hmm. you know, kids uh, studying writing, studying music, studying ballet, photography, obviously, and like just all the arts crammed into a bus. And the bus ride was like two hours every, well, about an hour and a half each way. Wow. So you're just hanging out with these, just the kids you want to be hanging out with. Uh, all the kids got beat up. 
basically. <laughs> Did you feel at home with, uh, with those, with that group of people? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were kind of my people. And, yeah. Uh, it was a great progressive environment. Still is. And that was a very formative. That's uh, awesome. Uh, so that just kept going. Like they just kept, kept going. going. Photography. And then, well, uh, after you got done with that camp, how did you keep going with photography? It was always just, I was, you know, playing around with it during the year, uh, between summers. It wasn't sort of all the time, but, uh, it was just always, I always had a camera, always photographing and documenting. I think it was the documentation thing that got me. I love, uh, documenting these moments. Cause I started to realize like, as you, it's funny, we'll come back to that magic mountain thing. The passage of time these snapshots really helped me sort of start to as i look in retrospect organize my life as i look back on images i'm like oh i know how i was feeling what i was doing who i was hanging out with when i took that picture like they became these kind of like thumbtack oh. moments like oh yeah that's it's uh, like sense memory that, almost well, yeah it actually is uh because uh I've, I've got a lousy name for uh names and places but uh, the a photograph will tie me to that like a like a, some people say a smell will, um, I can definitely, you know, go back to images and go, that's, I know exactly who I was at that moment when I took that and I'm not that person anymore. And all those people are different and yeah, it, it helped me sort of see the, I organize things, but also just, I love documenting also making images that people liked. Uh, uh, so, and then I carried that on through college. That's where it really kind of blossomed. The, all four years. Okay. Well, I, I have to say, Brent, this is why I always say we should just do away with the arts. You hear me say that all the time. It, yeah. it offers nothing right. good. It makes no money. Nope. Okay. Um, but you also, par- almost parallel track, you, you're, you've fallen in love with photography. You have this community of people, meaning the other kids who go to this camp. You just love right. it. I love the way that you just described documenting and the fact that it kind of puts your life in order and you can go back and be like, Hey, this reminds me of this, that, or the other thing, right? Not just the right. literal, Oh, that was when we stood in front of that amusement park yeah. or whatever. And that's fine. I, I absolutely, I, I don't take a lot of vacation pictures for that reason. Yeah. As soon as someone says, you know, take a picture, take a picture. We're standing in front of blah. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Just a bunch of people standing in front of that. Right. Another <laughs> And if someone shows me, that's what I shouldn't that when someone says, I just got back from Venomous, let me show you my pictures. I'm like, what oh. What do you think? Do you go, oh, no. I'm like, yeah, just, just. Uh, that's a real yeah. death in and Venice. Then, Thomas Mann joke. <laughs> Thomas Mann boom, joke. Callback. Oh, boom. Boom. Callback. Really. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that's interesting, though. You don't take. So, like, if you're on a trip with your family, you're not always taking photos and such. No, I'm taking photos at the weird moments. Yeah, I'm taking, I love the offhanded, not kind of the caught at a weird angle or, uh, I love like the, the real connection moments. Often like if it's a dinner or if you're with people and if it's just, the setting is secondary to me. I want to capture the people and the time and the place, uh, monuments, forget it. I just, I have no point of that. I just, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, actually, so like, so we did take my family to the Eiffel Tower and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> yes, it's the Eiffel Tower. I get it. But, yeah. Uh, okay, I'll snap a couple pictures. Don't make me pretend like you're holding the Eiffel Tower. In your oh hand God! Because I will lose my brain. <laughs> um, you're out of the family. Yeah. <laughs> um. So 
but yeah, we, we were traveling and those pictures of my kids in off quiet moment. That's the stuff that I love. Uh, something that's capturing a person. Yeah. And eventually switch to more portraiture. Then, and I love, that's really what I love. And when we get to portraiture, I mean, the, what you ju- the way you just described that, right? Not about the monuments, not about, uh, you know, what I, maybe a lot of people think about for photography, um, but about the quiet moments and, and we're going to get into it mm-hmm. here shortly, but I've loved hearing you the, the little bit I have heard you talk about photography and, um, uh, your process and portraiture, but we're going to come back to that because I, I think okay. it's really yeah, sure. great. Um, but you had told your dad that you're going to be a doctor. And so correct. you're on these parallel told tracks. The they told my the whole friends, my family. Yeah. It's that's, just kind of, you, you tell your friends, they're all like, Oh, you're going to be a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. And you, you, you feel out that mold. And I keep coming back to that analogy. And it, you, kind of say well it's comfortable like this is a good place to be it's people are looking up to it people say i'm doing the right thing your friends are like oh it's great like you know what you want to do and you there's a certain comfort in that knowing that structure um and everything is laid out for you exactly what you need to you need to do a lot but it's all programmatic like this is what you got to do here are the steps and you'll get there and it's a good feeling uh because it's easy um, I mean, not the process, but the, it's all laid out. Yeah. You, you've, <laughs> you've said easy so many times and I, I just kept yeah. thinking to myself, whoo, if, if med school was easy for this guy, I'd like to see what was difficult, you know? No, no, med school wasn't cause I, I'll, I'll talk about that too. But, um, but it's like, you know, it's like running a marathon you're like, well, if I do this, I run five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles and train for it, never run a marathon, but I know, I know you're a runner. Um, you can get to it and it's a challenge and it's hard, but there's a, you can Google, how do I run a marathon yep. and get, you can do it. And it's, that's the easy part. Like there's, there's, there are people there to tell you how to do it. There's, you don't have to exactly find right. your own way. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. And so you, you go there and, uh, you went to undergrad and then where did you, uh, did you go to med school in New York city? Yeah, I came back to New York for, for medical school. Okay, yeah. and you're still uh, which is a little tough. Yeah. Little, why was it tough? Back. Well, I was I was uh, at college uh, up in, in New Hampshire. It's very rural existence, and it was sort of in a different way. It got me away from that New York centric idea of life. I was like, oh wow, there are communities and there are people who are slowed down, not as uh, uh, not as high high paced, uh, you know. Uh, you can slow down to enjoy life uh, and still live at a really, really good quality of life. And it took me a while to come down. It's a slow down. And uh, it was hard for me to recompress and get back into that New York existence uh, after four years in New Hampshire. Uh, and part of the reason I live here now, I'm up in you know, Western Massachusetts, very rural. And that, that, I, that, that was transformative those four years. Um, Right. And so. you, you were, pro- I imagine by the way you described it, you know, full on New Yorker, uh, I believe you say full tilt. Um, you're probably, were you surprised? Like, oh, I actually do enjoy this quiet and rural, rural, yeah. I can't say that word, uh, uh, atmosphere. Rural, rural, rural like, juror. Yeah. 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 I think it was that shock of like, honestly, I, again, it's the story often told. I grew up thinking there were like nine stars in the sky. Not kidding you. Like, I just, thought like there's just like nine stars and i remember the first time someone we, we really went out on a clear night 
uh, walking on the golf course. I'm like, guys, first of all, there's a lot of stars, but what is that cloud that's like that vertical band running through the sky that just won't go away? And they're like, dude, that's the Milky Way. And I'm like, <laughs> just won't go away. Like, yeah, it's what, what is that cloud? It's just, what is that like pollution? They're like, no, that's, that is the galactic plane. You're like, you're like, oh, and then, yeah, I mean, you're 18 and just go, oh, I got it. <laughs> that's pretty heavy, man. I'm really, I'm really, really tiny. You know, and just didn't know that, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so it's that, that was, pollution. That was, that was I love that. Things. Yeah. And also that first time we were, I think that was, uh, it was one, there was a solar flare that same fall. And we got to see, uh, Aurora Barrett Borealis. You saw the Northern lights New up in, uh, New yeah, Hampshire. They, they, yeah. It was just one of those weird times where it actually came down a little bit enough where we could see it. And those little things that like, I, I didn't know that stuff happened in the sky, you know. Uh, yeah, that's it's that just, is uh, that has to be jarring. Kind of those moments. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, I know. It just mind sort of just like slow down, yeah. take a look around. Um, and also, I was always you know uh, referring to it as like, well, I'm going back to the city, going back to the city. And then my you know friend from Midwest was like, what's the city? I'm like New York, of course, New York. And they're like. We don't call it that. I'm like, oh, oh, we're really kind of, you know, it's like that, that New York, a classic New Yorker ad. It's like Manhattan, Hudson River, and then like Midwest and California. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be bashing on New York. Like, welcome, welcome to Stephen bashing on New York. But uh, I did love it there. It just, it, it was just to give me a sense of like, oh, there is a life beyond this very metropolitan compressed lifestyle. And it was mind opening. Yeah, and, uh, and also meeting people from all over the the U.S. and the world uh, uh, was was really transformative. It was a really special time. Well, and it's interesting. I don't know if you caught it. I did it earlier in the conversation where I said you grew up in the city, or I said something like that. And I am very much from Illinois. And when I first went to New York, people were calling it the city, and I was hot pissed. I was not happy about any of it. <laughs> and now look at me doing it. I mean, so. Uh, yeah. I hear what you're saying, though. But you, so you go back to New York City, which is just a city, one of many, uh, for uh, med school. And again, yeah. we were talking earlier about how it's kind of A to B to C to D. It's going to be difficult, but if you follow these, mm -hmm. what were the first years of med school like? Really, really tough. I mean, well, tough for me to compress, I don't want to say compress, but to wrap my head around because. I love the sciences and I was a computer science major in, in college and I love the sciences where you were applying formula and you were applying reason and, and as you're saying, getting from point to point, for example, in computer science, you can get from point A to point B in a million different ways. Some are elegant, some are inelegant, some are sloppy, but you can get there. It's a creative process. And I sort of didn't realize that I love that creative process. Uh, you would use your programming code and your knowledge to work your way to a solution. When I got to med school, it was like, no, there's only one way from A to B, and here's what you need to memorize. It's all, it's memorization, uh, and still pretty much is. I mean, this is the body of knowledge. This is, you see these symptoms, think of this disease. Boom, we're done. Memorize that, spit it back. Um, it's very sort of, you know, ingested, regurgitated on the exam. There's no creative thinking, and it, I don't know why, but that sort of caught me off guard. I was surprised to see how much it was just rote memory. 
Um, so it was a tough two years because it was just, I, there was no, I know medicine's not, not, not necessarily creative, but that lack of creativity, that lack of like, uh, is there another path, uh, to get there surprised me that there's the right answer and the wrong answer. And that's pretty much it. And that's the way medicine should be, uh, you know, unless you're in research exploring, mm-hmm. but that was tough. That was tough to just say, Oh, wait a second. There's, you know, that's, you know, this course, learn it, spit it back. This course, learn it, spit it back. That's the first two years. That's the, the book learning years. So those are very, very tough uh, for me uh, mentally just to kind of say, oh, wow, this is really interesting. I mean, it's interesting, but it's just like ingest, repeat, ingest, repeat. So did Law you school, feel, I'm sure, can be that way too. Did you feel you were, yeah. you were like missing something? Even yeah. if you had photography on the side or, or whatever you were uh, working on outside of photography, did it feel a bit overwhelming? Like, uh, oh my gosh, is this what I've signed up for? That type of feeling? Yeah, exactly. That was that was exactly it. Uh, and it's funny because when I first got there, I tried to start a photography club. They were like, "Yeah, we're going to build a dark room downstairs." There's no time for that, and that, I, I get it. There's there's no time for that, and it was that turning off all those other creative pieces. You know, going from a liberal arts education, and you know, where I was studying the sciences, but I'm also studying the arts and studying and, and doing meeting lots of interesting people to just one track was very tough for me personally. Uh, it was tough because I saw a lot of people around me thriving in that and, or at least appearing to thrive. And it was very hard, harder than I expected to turn off that creative piece uh, and just focus. So that, that, that's where we get to that. Yeah. Well, how did you deal? Well, what did, how did you deal with that? And then was there, did that come, uh, come to a head at some point? Yeah, so I did. There was uh, sort of a, a crux of a moment. So the first two years are those book learning years. And then the second two years are called your clinical years, where you're actually out on the floors and you're, you're working with people. And, and I'll get back to why those are actually better years. But um, after the first two years, I was just so feeling that maybe that mold that I had taken on was not right. And, but you've come so far and you've been in that mold that you start to feel like suffocated. Like, I guess I don't know what else to do because I've accepted this, this sort of this mantle of responsibility. I've been on this pathway for so long that I don't know how else to think. I don't know how others will think about me if I step off this path or even think about stepping off this path. Um, and it's certainly something I couldn't bring up with friends at medical school because they were like, dude, what do you question? Like, cause you start to realize maybe they're doing it, questioning it too. But if, as soon as you question, you're kind of what's wrong with you, you know, stay on the path. Don't get off the path. Oh gosh. And, yeah. and also then you feel a like guilt to the, you know, being given tremendous opportunity, uh, by your family, especially as this firstborn, like you've been given all this education, you've been gone this far to say, you know, no, I want to be an actor. No, just kidding. Like, no, I, I want to, I want to, I want to trash it all. Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. And the, the guilt and you feel that you're disappointing and letting down everyone around you. Um, and, you know, to add to that, just at the end of my second year, uh, I had just met the woman who's my wife now and uh, fell madly in love. And her family, uh, she came from a family of, of doctors. And they were very approving of me. And they, sure. they were like, oh, he's a doctor. He's going to be a doctor. And, and I, I, I was like, I, I'm putting everything and everyone I know 
of losing everything, you know, and everyone around me, uh, including uh, my, 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 my girlfriend. And that, that it was just, it was, so it did come to a head. It was the first time I ever sort of experienced that paralysis. You know, this was like where we, we, we come to it, where I just didn't know what to do. And uh, it, it was paralyzing. And it wasn't necessarily depression. It was just completely, I don't know what to do. I have nowhere to turn. Uh, and then it did sort of come to a head one day, when the beginning of the first day of third year, which is your first clinical year. And just said, that's it. And it was actually, you know, a very moment of clarity, like the bell goes off, ding. Like, this is nuts. I can't keep going on this path. Let's stop. And, oh. uh, what, what do you so, mean by stop? Well, I just like, that something has to change. I think okay. moments like that in my life were like, Oh, this is broken. This can't continue. Uh, there's something very wrong here. I need to make a change. Um, and so I put on my sneakers and I went running and I don't run. <laughs> so I was running. Around oh, that wasn't more. a normal thing for you. It was no, just like no, you were no, kind of no, going yeah. out of your skin and you're I like, was like, yeah, it's like, I don't know. I guess I'll run. Uh, oh, I was rollerblading back then because back then, everybody rollerbladed. Sure. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> not me. I <laughs> fucking can't rollerblade. Anyway, go ahead. No, I, you're not, I'm six foot four. So me on rollerblades is like Ooh. nine foot three That's coming a- <laughs> down those highways. It's just, just, it was just like, it was stupid in retrospect. Uh, <laughs> um, so no, I just was running and I actually fortuitously ran into my roommate, uh, in the park who was a big runner and one of my closest friends from college at med school. And he's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm running I'm like, from what? I'm like everything. <laughs> and, um, so then, yeah, I, I got back and I realized I got to stop and I got to take time off and I did, but there was really, even back then there were. Although I think it's treated differently now, there there was really no pathways back then to stop. You just you didn't do that. So, uh, how did you communicate it then? Yeah, I went to the team and said okay. I'm gone, and I said I may want to come back. And he said I don't know if we can let you come back. Nobody's ever done this, or people people do do it, but they just back then they're like, this is very irregular. People don't do this. And I said I, I need to, and um, so I took a year off. Um, and, and I did this while my parents were away on vacation. Uh, so I couldn't reach them. Okay. So I really didn't have many people to talk to. Uh, I did reach out to my one living, uh, grandmother and, uh, <laughs> I feel bad, you know, looking back, she's you know, in her late eighties. She doesn't need me calling going, I'm leaving. I'm her oldest grandchild. Oh, but actually on our side. And I said, uh, I'm dropping out of med school, which is dead silence for a moment. And she said, uh, I'll buy you a car. Go back. What? A car? <laughs> and what? I was like, that, I remember thinking that's at least comedy will give you some relief. Cause I yeah. remember thinking my whole life has come down to me getting a car. Like you show him what he's won. It's a brand new car. Yeah. Your very own you price is right. Med school. Exactly. And it's like, no, I think I won the donkey. And, uh, um, and I just, I, God bless her. I, I remember thinking, no, that obviously that's not the answer, but yeah, 
I, I, I do need to take time off. And uh, and how and, how did you let your girlfriend know? And you said that you you just met her the right the, off the bat. Yeah, yeah. she. I mean, I, she had some inkling that I had other interests and difficulty with with the, the whole med school process. So it was not a shock. the The hardest thing was, was coming up to visit her parents because we would frequently visit on weekends, and uh, I just got to know them like two or three months before, and tell her parents that I was leaving med school. And uh, again, they were amazing, just amazing to say, Stephen. Yeah, you just you know take the time you need, whatever you need. They were uh, really uh, open to it. Oh, absolutely! In a way that I, I just so much to learn from as a to parent. That's the way to be because I, I was, uh, you know, 22, 23, and I've got kids that old now. And I thought sort of, if, if my daughter brought home a guy, like I'm dropping out of school, I'm like, I don't know about this one, you know, but I, I've learned that, like, you that's amazing. For yeah. These parents who were very, very, you know, not, con- not conservative at all, but very rock steady, kind of, you know, grew up in the 50s, very sort of nuclear family walk the straight and narrow, do the right thing. They're just like, you take your time and figure it out. Did he, And uh, often when we, you know, you open up like that, it does lead people to then open up right back. I mean, uh, did he share yeah. any anything similar in his experience that you were kind of surprised to so. hear? Yeah, you know, I, I've often reflected on it. I don't think, he grew up in a, a generation apart from me, and you did not, you couldn't show weakness like that, or you were not allowed to show vulnerability. Uh, and when he was coming up in the sixties, um, lest you be labeled, you know, and, and, and outcast and put outside the box. And I think that he also had difficulties and uh, times of sad sadness in his life and questioning things where he just pushed it down, which I think a lot of people are told to do or were told to do. Um, so he reached out to me in a way that was like, I get it. And I understand didn't share exact reflections of, of him, him having those same experiences, but he was very sympathetic in a way that told me, yeah, he had also had some tough, tough times and was very supportive. And then um, did you, and, uh, did, when did you tell your parents? Oh, well, as soon as they got back and they, they were accepting, very confused by it. Um, uh, not, I don't think shocked or surprised, but um, kind of that confused parents thing where they're like, well, let's just see how this goes and they'll work it out. Uh, how, like, how you doing, son? Everything okay? You know? <laughs> Want to have and, a catch? And to, to their credit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little bit. To my dad's credit, I adored him and he was a wonderful person he did take me out to lunch and just say i did the right thing he said are you okay are you safe which you know but that was uh, that was very important yeah that's and great I, we did have a heart to heart where i had to say like no i am fine but i just need to figure out stuff and it's okay if you can't help me figure that out um so but i think they were confused by that um because uh, we had touched on like when we were talking beforehand like they their view on therapy was very negative uh oh it was that was a definite sign yeah just sort of let they i'd grown up in an environment where you know do you hear about so-and-so he's being a psychiatrist you know like you just didn't talk about it yeah um don't tell anybody um and uh they're divorced 
you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and um, you're you're like spelling the word, and like it's like treat T R E A T D I V O R C E. Exactly, your <laughs> little N U T T Y. Um, <laughs> uh, so it, you know, when I told them I was going to get into therapy and see a psychiatrist, that was. They're just like, why are you doing that? Like, because you don't have the answers and that's okay. Yeah. Like that, I think that was the issue. Like the fact that they, especially my mom felt very, uh, something I was taken away from her. Like she couldn't have the answers. I'm like, no, you're not supposed to have these answers. I don't expect you to have the answers. Um, and so I got into short term, sort of like this, uh, uh, therapy or like a crisis therapy. And it was wonderful. It was just to have the opportunity to talk to somebody and no judgment and really open up and allow you that space to figure out what's going on. Because obviously, it's, you know, you're figuring it out. They're helping you to figure it out for yourself and, and guiding you through that. Um, and how long so, were you in therapy there? Uh, that, that It was a short term. It was only a few months. And honestly, it was just because I... The insurance only covered for that long, but it was it was long enough to the point where at the end I'm like, I think we're done. Like, oh, like okay. we've kept setting up appointments, and I, I just want to always ask people, how do you know when you're you're done? And it's like you, you kind of know it. It got me through that crisis, sure. sort of that paralysis of knowing what to do and what to do next, and and gave me the confidence to to use that year really really well to 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 help me figure things out. And that, like, that was also part of the requirements. Like, if I wanted to come back, they did require that. But so at first, I was a little shocked that I needed to do that. But I really enjoyed the process. I mean, not enjoyed, but like it made me, it opened up my mind to the fact that, wow, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people don't talk about stuff. Um, and uh, it's okay. Like, it's okay to talk about the stuff and, and, and help you figure it out. Um, so. So it was, it was a very good thing for me. Because I said, I came out of this household where it was looked down upon. Like the, even psychiatrists were looked down upon. I think that was just the nature of the beast of my dad being, being a, neurologist. a neurologist. Yeah. Yeah. Neurologists don't classically, at least in the classic sense, didn't really kind of get along with psychiatrists. I don't, don't know why. They just. Did uh, they come to fisticuffs? Being very, <laughs> just <laughs> exactly. kidding. Come on, I'll fight you. I'll fight you at the, down at the bar. Yeah. Uh, um, Speaking of New York, Brent just started snapping doing sharks and jets over there. Uh, that's the West Side story, Brent. We're talking about the exactly. Upper East Side. Gosh, the shrinks versus the neurons. <laughs> uh, so wait, I, I, I gotta, a couple I, I things. Uh, Brent uh, and Wade over there. We need to get a giant. Uh, we'll call it a pegboard, a whiteboard to mark every time one of our kind and generous guests comes on and says, and that's as long as the insurance would cover it. Because I hear oh, that really? bullshit all the time. It's fucking maddening. Audio drop. Ding, yeah, know. right. That. And then, two, you said, yeah, it's sad but true. Um, you said that they require that. Do you mean that the med school, for you to be able to come back, you they said that you needed to go sp speak with someone? Yeah, that was I that see. was part of the deal. Okay, yeah, there's like if we're if we're even going to consider letting you come back, you need to kind of talk to somebody, and I'm sure that and like get clearance, quote unquote. And um, but you know, and as I talked to this guy, it turns out there were a lot of people before me, a lot of people who had done the same thing, who were just trying to figure out their life, who'd been on this uh, 
on this treadmill towards a goal and said, I, I need to stop, but I don't know how to stop to get off so I can think about it if I yeah. want to get back on it. And, but no one talked about it. And that really bummed me out. Like that fact that it was like, I was sort of let given the impression I was the first one to ever do this. And as I talked and asked, they're like, oh. no, lots of people do this. And even the psychiatrist was like, yeah, this happens all the time. So like in a way it added you're to, just trying to figure out your life to the yeah. stigma that uh, you may have felt or the shame, if that's the right word, because right. you did not know that, Oh, this has happened before. And that's, that, you know, that's no judgment on the people who, who didn't say it. But if, if it would have been a more of an open dialogue about how it had happened, excuse me, how this has happened before that might've helped oh, your yeah. transition. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I figured, and, I, and it's funny, I, I haven't thought about it a while, but I did find a small community of other people who had gone through that and I met with them and we just sort of hang out and go, yeah, I mean, nobody wants to talk about this, but it's uh, just, it's okay to stop and take a breather, figure out what you need to do next. And um, I think change, things have changed a lot. This is, you know, this was the 80s. Uh, yeah. I think obviously a lot of schools have now focused a lot more on mental well-being and uh uh, definitely it's it's a very different environment um so but that was them that was my experience yeah and then, it was tough it was really it was a great i mean i'm sort of romanticizing it a bit i feel but it was it was a hard hard time where i just woke up like i don't know what to do well let, I, let's I, put I, it I, into perspective a little bit uh steven i mean like this is just from high school graduation on this is six years Full speed ahead, right? Four year, I, I imagine right. four years of undergrad, two years. Uh, there's right. the 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 relationship you have with your dad, and what you've promised him. That's a lot to have all build up, and then when you realize, oh shit, I do need to step away. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I think it was you know, it's funny, this process has helped me sort of reframe it all. But it's like disappointing people too. The the disappointment that I I knew so many people would be feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, right. Because you, 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 we all do care. Like, I don't want to let people down. You know, and it's okay to just stop and say, "What do, what do I need to do here?" Yeah. Uh, and 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 be a well-rounded, happy person because this isn't working. Um. So it it is it, okay, was, and it's it's not said enough, really. I don't think. Right. And yeah, it's actually definitely changed the way I when I talk to people all the time. Like, well. Are you talking to people? Are you in therapy? No, I don't need that. Like, no, we all need at some point, you know, just, uh, you get your car tuned up. It's okay. Get, get tuned up, figure it out. Yeah. Get back in. And even with our kids, cause I mean, man, I, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely our, our kids have both been in, in some degree of therapy, um, and zero questions about getting them into therapy when they needed it. And, that's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. We can touch on that. Like talking about my, my son, like, and his struggles, like I saw it was so much, I think easier for him because we were just like, yeah, this is what we need to do. We need to get you some, some help, some help. Right. Um, with he hit when growing up profound ADD, um, oh. which honestly, I think I was kind of biased. I was like, I don't really buy this. And then you have a kid with ADD and you're like, Oh, I buy it. I yeah. Totally buy this. Now I, I get it. And it was, it, I think it always saved his life, the, the help he got. And oh, wow. Helped him to get. Um, so, you know, going through that made it a lot easier to advise our kids that way, too. And, and to be that, I'm sure, 
uh, I don't mean to speak for your children, but I'm sure that they felt comfortable coming to you with that to say, hey, I think I want to, you know, whatever, I need help with this or, or whatever it may be. And oh, yeah, a lot, which more. is is kudos to you and your wife, because that's that's a wonderful thing to do, because, you know, you talk about disappointing and I'm sure they did not want to disappoint you or, or your wife or anything and that you guys are so accepting and loving about it, uh, it only makes the process better. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we, we still talk very openly about stuff. And even as they were growing up, I would let them know, like, no, dad's not perfect. Dad had these tough times. Uh, and there's been lots of tough times. And this is how I'm feeling. This is how, you know, I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling depressed. Feeling like just, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It was just never, I didn't grow up with that. Adam. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, it's kind of a whole other side chat. It's like through my son's therapy which we were sort of part of i was like i, I learned a lot about myself because a lot of stuff is genetic obviously I'm like oh. oh i yeah i get that i get that that was kind of me i wish i had this when i was his age right um yeah you learn a lot for your kids so um brent brent we should adopt a kid yeah mm. yeah sure no no that'd be a very you, bad you idea Brent pregnant? Uh, uh, Brent, don't you don't have to answer that HIPAA loss. Uh, <laughs> so, what did you do in this this year? You, you said, "Oh, I had." I'm going to probably butcher how you said it, but you said you actually had a really good and productive year off. What did yeah, you do did. during that year off? So the first thing is I looked at the. Uh, I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go to the uh, classified ads because that's what you did. There was a uh, not internet age. Open up the classified ads. You should actually take out a marker and circle stuff like that of the movies. And I applied to work at a photo studio. Oh. That was my first instinct coming back, bringing it back to photography. And uh, photo, uh, did, <laughs> I did interview at a few photo studios, which was completely bizarre. And uh, also at the same time, looked at uh, doing some computer work for NYU and then also doing some rotations in uh, at the hospital. So I wanted to see a little bit of everything. I wanted to, at my pace, uh, I had to make some money, obviously. Um, so that was the job at NYU doing computer coding, which was my sort of, I had done that in the past and worked for HBO and as a computer coder. So I could do that and, uh, and also go back and not let go of the medicine completely and do some rotations as a volunteer to see potential things that might draw me back in. Uh, but uh, the photography was interesting. I went to a studio downtown. This was the 80s, a uh, bunch of you know, literally heroin chic models walking mm. around. Well, chic, but you know, that, that look, walking around. There's a guy behind a photographer behind a desk stroking a cat wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, really? I'm not kidding. I'm like, this is like, has Austin Powers made this movie yet? Because yeah. this is what I feel like I'm in. Was Inspector and Gadget I, beating I, down the door? Yeah. It's, yeah. Actually, it was on back then. Great so, TV back then. Oh man, Mystery Science Theater. Oh, you know what got me through it? A lot of these sad times. Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Uh, Brent is saying him too, and shout I shout out. Yeah, to MST three K. Many a time on the sofa, laughing my ass off watching. I still force Kevin to watch it when he stays over. But force is the wrong word because I love Mystery Science Theater three thousand. I love it, and yeah. I know a very close friend of of Brent and I's who will be listening to this episode at some point is a huge, huge fan Still? of that. It's wonderful. Yeah. 
You know, I actually, this was again, pre-internet. I wrote in to become a, a misty member. I had a, like a badge and there was a newsletter. Really? And, and, there, and there's, there's some, I remember lying on the sofa going, I can work for these guys. This is what I want to do. Yeah. I work for MST3K. Move to Minnesota. Uh, exactly. That was, that got me through a lot of sad times. That show, that's, that's funny. I haven't really thought about it until now. Humor, man. Uh, Humor's damn, the shit. I love that show. Yeah. And that will come up again. Like, humor kept me going a yeah. lot. Of, and uh, watching a lot of comedians too. Back then. Yeah. So, uh, I let's transition to a lot of the photography. Uh, photography. Forrest Gump taking over there for a second. Um, so you went back From to med Mars? school. It, it, you you graduated and, and became a physician. Is that correct? Correct. So yeah, you know, I can wrap up that year real quickly. Is I did discover I did like something in medicine, and that was radiology, uh, which is the photography. Oh, medicine. And I actually went back really excited by that. And That's great. It, uh, so then I powered through the next two years after taking that year off and then did pursue radiology. And that's what I do now as well. Uh, and that, 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 that does move forward happily. Um, still a very long pathway because that's another two years of med school, four years of residency, a year Jesus. of fellowship. Uh, now I'm 33. Wow. I my first job. So yeah, it's a, that's a marathon. Yeah. This is a but, dumb uh, question is, um, Really dumb question. No dumb oh, no oh, there's a few. Uh, there's always an exception. Yeah, no radiology. I mean, are you looking yeah. at X-ray? What What exactly does that mean? So the classic is yeah, the X-ray. Like when you think of an X-ray of a chest or a mm -hmm. bones, and that's like invented in 1895. Conrad Brenkin involved uh, that's uh, uh, X-rays uh, or discovers X-rays. Um, and so it's all imaging, anything that is imaging the body. And that's classically x-rays, but of course now includes, you know, magnetic resonance imaging, ultrasound, nuclear medicine imaging, pet imaging, uh, anything where you're imaging the body. Okay. Um, so I'm a body imager. Uh, the, the inverse of my dad, I, he did everything neck up. I'm always, I'm all shoulders down. So body. You guys imager, make the whole human. We make, yeah, I make, I make everything below all the, all the dumb stuff. <laughs> all of me <laughs> that's kind of weird uh all all the uh so musculoskeletal imaging lung imaging uh, i do a lot of women's imaging uh and i do love that i that that did pull me back into medicine and but it was that photography piece it was like and a little bit of the add-ness in medicine it was always like you know and I, I have no problem with like talking with patients and meeting patients but it was always this kind of Let's figure out what's going on. Let's tap on their chest. I'm yeah. Like, Let's get an x-ray and figure out what's going on because I got things to do. You know, and I realized <laughs> that was my piece. That's where I fit in really, really well. Uh, because the radiologist is the photographer, the consultant, the lighting expert for the doctor. We're a doctor's doctor. We help the doctor work with the patient. I love that and doctor's I doctor. Like that role. Yeah. Yeah. Much like a pathologist or uh or anything where you're a specialist, you are being sent you're, you're helping a doctor to treat a patient and it's very piecemeal work like let's you know see something a case work on it move on and it's that's where i fit in naturally uh i really enjoyed that um you know god bless the interns i i think that's and we need more uh interns that day-to-day -day care uh is a real specialty and, and being lost but i knew it wasn't where i fit in um 
So that's what drew me back. And it was the imaging piece. Okay. Um, uh, so, I, it, it, so you, that's great. You take the year off and it, it works out it, in, in some ways works out really perfectly. It brings you yeah. back to what you originally did, but also keeps the, the home fires burning for photography. Um, and so you mentioned a few moments ago when we were talking about MST three K, uh, <laughs> comedy and how it's gotten you through a lot of the sad times. Uh, yeah. you had told me, no, I heard this in an interview you did with somebody else. Uh, you talked about, you would have a long commute and you would listen to a, like a, a serious channel of, of up comedy. Is that right? Yeah. So that was another tough time in my life where with my first job up here in Western Massachusetts, uh, uh, not by our own fault, but the, the group kind of fell apart. And I had within a two year period, I had to find a new job and we loved where we were. So the only job I could find was about an hour away in Albany. And, um, so I had to commute every day and, uh, I never planned on being a commuter, just hated it. Uh, so I commute every day, give it a plus, plus or minus of two hours. And the only thing I could find to get me through it after I'd done like audible books and listening to lots of radio was a uh, serious satellite that just started up and they had a comedy station, uh, raw dog. And I would just turn that on and leave it on the entire time and started really finding certain comedians just really making me laugh, just belly laugh, just saying, wow, they really get it. And I realized I really, really love comedy. I love comedians. Yeah. Uh, and co comedy's definitely seen ups and downs through the decades. I mean, I know it's been it was the 90s and it was down, it was up and down, but comedy was coming back up in 2005 or so. Um, and they were getting me through the day like no other. And the, the, the really good comedians, they were going to ask me names. I can't think. I'm just. Oh, no. It, but, no, no, uh, no, no need. But it. No, because it, I, they, they just really, really, really tore me up and, uh, and helped me a lot. And I could see in their comedy, the good ones, they were also speaking from a place of pain and, and sometimes sadness. Sure. There was those, those comedians that were, you know, we, I know we sort of, talked this a little earlier or beforehand it was about art and art mental illness creativity and seeing those all build together and how what a complex dance that is and i was like this is really fascinating stuff um so what, what as photographers kind of come back into my life at that time um i just started reaching out to comedians i just started emailing them really old emailing them saying love what you do uh, uh if i'm in new york can i photograph you sometime gratis just, just for the chance to meet you. And a lot of them said yes. Um, the first one being Kevin Meany, who was a wonderful, wonderful comedian uh, and very welcoming. And, and I, we worked together, photographed, I photographed him and he helped open the doors for me to meet other comedians, get me into clubs, photographing clubs. I, I, um, I want to so point that, how, sorry to interrupt you. I want to point out how cool no. it is that you did that, that you're, you know, you're going through your own tough time. You're listening to comedy. You're learning, oh my God, I love comedy. And then you're like, oh, and not to put words in your mouth, but it's, it's like, I loved, um, and we talked about portraiture earlier. I love mm -hmm. photography. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to reach out to them because what's the worst they can do? Say no? Exactly. I and I think that's cool as hell. Like, yeah, a lot of people, there are a lot of people just want to respond. A lot of people say, no, I'm too busy. Thank you for your reaching out. Uh, but I just kept trying. Because, mm. you know, we, we're all at work, and then you're like, oh, I got five minutes. 
I'll send an email. Sure. Uh, I'll reach out to the comedy seller, see what they say. What's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then comedy seller said, yeah, come on by. I'm like, holy crap. And uh, that's kind of how stuff happens. Yeah. And uh, then you got into, well, and I know this is glossing over a lot, but you got into portraiture. And mm-hmm. in speaking with you before, one of the things that I really, that really resonated with me is how you described uh, uh, a sitting session with somebody that you're taking their photograph. Mm-hmm. And I think you said that setting up the photo space is a bit like therapy. Tell, take us through a little bit um, how you kind of do the, uh, what, what a session with you is like. Yeah. So it, it grew out of really out of me not knowing how to do it. Uh, I photographing people always terrified me throughout most of my life. I mean, really, I didn't like actually photographing people until my like thirties. Uh, and then I, it just, something changed. I just said, like, wow, this, this is a lot more interesting, uh, a good photograph of a person. And when this comedy thing was starting to click in gear, uh, at, at one point I said, I'm going to, well, let's go big or go home kind of thing. I rented a studio in New York for a week, got a hair and makeup artist and said, okay, let's do this. And kind of made it up as I went along. And at first I was just kind of directing a lot more. I was telling people what to do. I thought we had to have loud music on. And I, I had this vision of like what a photo session was supposed to be again, very Austin powery. You know, like, yes, yes, no, no. Um, and that's like, that's, and within five minutes, I'm like, that's stupid. That doesn't really work. Uh, it's like, well, what do I want to do? I was like, I just want to talk to people. I want to figure out what makes them tick. So as I did more and more sessions, I realized the good pictures I was getting, but look, obviously edit and you obsessively edit after you've done a shoot. Like, where was the good moment in that story? Or that shoot? It's like, oh, when they were talking about their childhood, when they were telling me something, a funny story. That's when that shot happened. And I, for me, it was very overused word, that organic moment of when they were real and authentic. And that's, and usually with a smile or a laugh or even a very serious look. But when they were telling me something about themselves, that's when the picture for me happened. So I just started focusing on that more and more. I'm like, wait a second, but you're going to sit down. I'm going to sit down. We're going to be face to face, about six feet apart. Camera's going to be just about below my chin. I'm going to be looking at you, but, you know, try to look at the camera. And I had a little clicker remote. And let's just talk one-on-one. Like, I'm looking at you right now. I'm just like, there. there. Well, not there, Kevin. You can smile a little bit. I'm just... <laughs> there, there, there. Exactly. Ah. He's smiling. For those listening at home, he's smiling. But First like, time for everything. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, um, that's, it became this talk. Talking back and forth. And at the same time, I'm also starting to discover and listen to podcasts. I'm like, wait a second, they're doing the same thing. They're being the good ones are being authentic and talking and telling real stories. Uh, it's not shtick. It's not, uh, you know, shtick has its place, um, but it all, it's weird. It all kind of gelled together. Like this storytelling, comedy, authenticity, that's where real stuff is happening and the interesting stuff is happening. And I could speak that through photography. And I, start to get good responses and people say, like, Oh, I really like these pictures. Like no one ever photographed me quite like this or a session would end and someone, and we'd be coming at the end and someone would say, well, when do we start? And I go, we we're done. And they say, Oh, Oh, oh I, I didn't know. Like, wow, wait a second. And 
but then they would love their pictures. And that, that was, that's where, you know, and the getting that feedback obviously kept driving that process. So my sessions now are very much kind of like therapy. Um, you know, I, I do much better. If someone is completely climbed up and says, just take the damn picture. I'm going to smile. I'll take it. I got five minutes. It's not going to work for me. It's just, and I'll tell them like, look, that's not how I typically work. I'll, I'm happy to do that for you, but that's not the process. I, I need, even when I do corporate work, I'll do a lot of corporate shoots, uh, which are great because we'll, we'll go through like 30 people in a day. I say, I need 15 minutes at least for someone to kind of settle in, look at me, talk to me, tell me your job here. How are you? You're a corporate lawyer. What's that like? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and sometimes it doesn't always go well to go, I hate it. (laughs) I'm like, okay, smile. Click. We're done. Thank you. (laughs) I hate it. Uh, but yes, uh, those, those authentic moments are much better. And that's, that's what I'm seeking, you know, uh, and so for for someone who in medicine went into an area where we have very little patient contact, typically I ended up in an area in photography where I'm very one-on-one uh, talking to somebody. So it, it, uh, it strikes me too that the way that you just described that and the passion that you have for it and, and authenticity, it made me think of how yep. you described your dad uh, as a yep. doctor. Oh, wow. He was he was somebody who um, was always uh, receptive and, and welcoming house or excuse me, people calling the house, somebody who loved his job, just loved it. And his patients loved him. And it, it, it's the same type of passion that I'm hearing here, too. And the ease and, and that where you get to the end of it. When do we start? Oh, we're, we're done. And they're like, what? And very much like going to the doctor, I think some people don't really like to be photographed, but if they get through a whole session or almost a whole session and they're like oh we're almost done oh wow yeah this was not like yeah. pulling teeth you know so i think that's really admirable okay so we've come to the point in the pod- podcast where kevin almost made me cry there oh i just teared up oh well yeah oh, right, well, could, could you smack kevin there for a minute? oh don't give him any ideas <laughs> no that was really beautiful i don't mean to take away from the joke but that was really I think we just made a breakthrough here. Yeah. Oh. Wow. I never really thought about it that way. It really. Wow. That's that's no, how it's that's really me. really sweet. Yeah. yeah, that's really really cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, so in a lot of ways, it's about talking and being being real, and you know, and it's it's when we didn't do this in the prep, but like I have had some uh, photographic sessions where where people just I think come back because they just want to do the talk piece a little bit which is kind of cool. And, um, and it's happened twice now, which is, is actually really sad. I have a very good friend. I was photographing for a headshot. Uh, and then literally the next issue, young, young woman, the next day, she found out she had very, very advanced uh, disease and had to go through a lot of treatment. And so I captured this moment just before her world came crumbling down. And she just reached out to me a few days ago and said, I'm ready. Like let's let's do the it, next next chapter shot. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, uh, and that's really 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 moving. Um, so it's taking me some really emotional places. Yeah, uh, and you know even if it's pictures that don't get not used for someone to capture that moment in their life where they're on top of the world, the next day it, everything collapsed uh, was very 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 unreal, but also very touching. That like wow, I got this 
moment. And now she's going to come back and wants to revisit and say, okay, now it's a year and a half later. Things are probably starting to come back together. I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to be for another shot. Um, I'm so happy so. to hear that. I, I was very worried. Um, that was going to end a different way. So I, I'm very happy to hear that. She oh, had just no, reached no. Back out it, to you. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It, and it's, this is a good place to discuss. I, I actually have had a few people come in. Uh, good friends have brought their parents in and said, uh, we don't have a great picture of uh, grandma and she's, everything's great right now, but she's like 93 and, 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 and grandma came in and I was like, so why are you here? And she's like, you're taking my old bit picture. And I just went, oh, oh my. wow, wow, wow. And there was, she was like, no. No, don't worry about it. This is cool. Like, I want you to do this. And that's that's really, again, like, I'll get Terry, like, that's some really, really powerful stuff. And someone says that to you. It's like, no, you're gonna, you're, that's what you're, that's what I'm here for. Um, you look a little stunned. No, I, I think that's really lovely. And yeah, um, yeah. And it's those, yeah. those places that someone is so trusting, say, no, I, I want you to do this. And you feel obviously like, well, I better get them in focus. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not always, yeah, I better do this right. It's a lot of pressure, but wow, what an honor. And what an enormous honor to, yeah. to do that for somebody. Um, so, yeah, you have those moments. And then you also have the comedians just coming in, doing sure. their stuff and silly stuff and corporate stuff. But it, you, the cool thing is you meet. I've met so many interesting people from all walks of life. And, and the common theme is, Everyone's got this story, and a lot of people are and a lot of a lot of pain, and a lot of people ask them how they get through it. Um, particularly comedians, I, was, I haven't done it in a while, but when I was going through the comedians, wow, you know, all personality disorder, all on the spectrum, all medicated, uh, you know, yeah. And no one asks for that kind of lifestyle. Like, you know, no one, very few people go, "I want to be a comedian when I grow up." They all got there somehow. I'm like, "How'd you get here?" So that, that all these stories. Story is the word that that uh, um, I think you've yeah. you've used throughout in storytelling, oh, and and when you and I have talked um, off air, you talked about the the best comedians to your mind tell great stories. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, tell, and also, you know, there's always going to be a place for the you know rimshot joke, and that's fun. But the people who really draw you into a story about their life. And uh, that's that's amazing to me. Uh, and who are turning it into uh, not not just a laugh, but something that we can all look at and acknowledge the insanity that life can sometimes be, the craziness that it can be, the pain that everybody's feeling uh, at times. Uh, and that's okay because you know, again, I, I always come back to you can laugh or you can cry or you can do both, but definitely. Definitely laugh. You know, Always. You got to. You have to. Um, and I've taught my kids that too. I've, I've definitely, that's the beauty. That I've broken my kids. You know, they are, they are some weird, strange senses of humor. And I love that. That you is, know? dude, I have the podcast for them. It's called Hysteria 51. Yeah, I've told them about it. Oh, I, I know. I figured you had. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great as they're turning into these really cool young adults and they're sending me back stuff. And I'm like, oh, damn, you're not supposed to show that to your dad. <laughs> God damn, that's funny. Yeah, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, 
so so Stephen, you know, you you've been in um obviously you've been in the medical field for a long time. You've been in photography for a long time. Um yeah. and you know, as we're wrapping up here, I I I am curious um you know as you <clears throat> continue to do portraiture, is it still about really just getting to know that person and the storytelling? Is there something else? Is the lighting a part of it? Or is it really at the base? And, and again, another word that you used a lot that I love is authenticity. Uh, is it about the storytelling between two people that you love that helps you capture the moment in time? Yeah, it, it's that last piece. Because uh, I'm sure, as you know, as a podcaster, once you get started, there's a lot of technical pieces. There's a lot of the audio, the balancing, the mics. There's all the, you're getting everything EQ'd just right. And you get through that. And once you get through the technicals, it's about that story. And yeah, I'm always playing with lights. And I, I do love the art of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm always exploring different lighting techniques and things that uh, work and don't work. Uh, I still love dramatic photography. I love I've been doing quite a bit of on the side, uh, a lot of fashion work as well. I've seen some of that. It's is, really cool. Yeah. Thank you. I've been working with a local amazing dress designer. Uh, I've been doing all our photography lately. And that's also cool, working with another creative. Mm. And uh, those, co- those those collaborations where she's saying, well, what do you think of this, the, the length of the hem? And I'm like, you're asking me? Like, <laughs> like I, I don't know about dresses. But, uh, but it's cool when someone is asking your opinion and that give and take. And I'm asking her about the lighting a little bit. And the, the, the style of the shots, and you're working with another artist, um, and you are trying to tell a story about in this case about her dresses, and try to make it interesting and eye catching, and uh, and a lot of it's also imitating. I, there's so many other older artists, photographers I love. I love the fashion of like uh, like Hollywood glamour photography. I'm always sort of calling back to that because in a lot of ways there was storytelling, it was a very dramatic story. But, mm. um, yeah, using those techniques to enhance the story. But it, at the end of the day, it is about that person being authentic. And um, and it's interesting. The, the toughest times for me are when I've had an actor sit down in front of me who needs a headshot. And uh, I'll start, and they'll just say to, me, they'll say to me, who do you want me to be? Who am I? What's my, give me direction. Oh, I'm like, it's like another role. You. Yeah, be yourself. And they're like, and they're like, uh, they're like, I don't know who that is. Uh, like oh oh dear god <laughs> okay uh well i think we're who are you yeah and uh that's that's happened a few times really yeah any direction right and then it it and it's part of your art it's not it's not just the lighting it's not just the framing it's not just the focus and the lens it's letting that person be comfortable and then helping them find who they are in that moment right and right right that's for me is the, the and it's usually that one-on-one that's you know, like one of the tough things right tough things for me are actually shooting groups because uh that's much more programmatic like i got to get everyone smiling everyone looking at the camera yeah you know they can't all tell their story at the same time and obviously <laughs> it's, uh so that's a little more difficult for me like i found my thing the place where i can really can sing with the, the work photography is like that one-on-one and connecting uh, which has shocked me because I always thought of myself as an introvert. Um, and as I get older, I find, and it's funny, I've seen a lot of people, and I don't want to derail it's another conversation, but a lot of people talking about the fact that an introvert could be very extroverted, but we're doing it from a drawing from an enormous amount of energy to, to do it. We want to do it, 
but it's very exhausting. And that sounds right that to me. My sessions, oh, yeah, yeah. after a session, after photography, I'm sure after this podcast, I'm wiped out. Like it's like I need to reset and like go in my hibernation chamber and just you know. I think what I might do as a, as a reset for me is maybe I'll watch an MST 3K. You've got me really oh, yeah. salivating to, so I, to visit an old I one. Forget, like, you need the best because there's some hit or miss, but there's some that are just so fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they were. And I, I would be remiss if I did not say, I mean, you said earlier, you know, as a podcast, you need to worry about the production and the sound and all that. Uh, I'm the luckiest guy alive because I got Brent who knows all of this shit, self-taught, by the way, uh, which I admire. And he takes care of all of this for me so that, uh, and you said like with that, um, uh, the, the woman you've been, uh, uh, photographing lately, <laughs> she's asking, does this hem look right? You know, you're working with another artist. Like I feel that way with Brent yeah. too, uh, is, is it's just like, Oh, cool. <laughs> really? You want to know my opinion <laughs> on that? Oh, does Brent ask you about his hemline? Uh, God, more than you know. <laughs> Good <laughs> Lord. Sorry, I'm, going, I'm moving into Stereo 51 territory. Yeah, right? I know. <laughs> uh, as long as Seabot doesn't get brought up. Um, oh, there's the Seabot. Oh, he's a motherfucker. Uh, so, Stephen, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate you Thank taking you. us through that. I think it's a really valuable story in so many ways, and, and I want to harken back to you were overwhelmed. You said, I, you did the right thing for you. You took a step back and look what came of it. Um, you, you stayed in medicine and then you found that this other thing uh, flourished for you. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. Oh, and my pleasure. As, Real honor. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you uh, would like to say or, or or maybe didn't get a chance to say that you want to make sure, uh, you know, is heard uh, on the episode? Yeah, definitely coming back to that, like, you know, it, there's there's no shame and stigma in, in reaching out for help. Professional medications, we didn't even touch on medications, you know. And I, I do think we're living in a much better era where it's much more talked about, but there is no shame in asking for help. And the second point is I am coming out to Chicago and I'm photographing you guys. Got to do that. Oh, do that. please do. That would be fucking awesome. Yeah, that's my goal. Yeah. Okay. So. That. Oh, man, there. I look forward to that. It, it, if anything, for not if anything, just for the conversation, I think there'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. We can uh, watch some movies. That'd be cool. Oh, hell yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I'd love to do that. Oh, cool. All right. Well, let's get it on the books. So, and... Yeah, uh, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Absolute pleasure. Yes. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. I really, really appreciate your time. And cool. um, thanks for coming on. And then I'll go ahead and uh, wrap up uh, the same way I always do and say that there is always room for kindness and grace, even with ourselves. It's something that I forget every day. But there is always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.